here before we know it, the um, value both that is a name, right? I think I remember correctly. Um, I had spoken to it last week. I want to say one more thing about it this week. Um, again, really encourage you to vote. We are given that, res- that right. I believe it's a responsibility. Uh, it, is, it is the state that we live in. And I want this to be a place where all life is protected. And in January on Right to Life Sunday, I'm going to preach a sermon related to what Scripture says, but the Bible is clear that from conception, from womb to tomb, that life is from God, it's designed and created by Him, and all life is valuable. And so I just challenge you, let's go to the booth that day. Maybe you're like, I don't normally vote in a primary. This is a primary you want to vote in, okay? That's what I feel like. And I'm not going to tell you what lever to flip or whatever, but what I do ask you to do is to be biblically, uh, to know the Word of God, to have a biblical worldview, and to carry that with you anytime you vote for anything. Um, but that, that's just where we stand at a church. And, and one more thing I want to say that I didn't say last week. I've got a neighbor who has a sign in their yard who's hoping that the amendment fails. And this week I was in a business in Emporia that's got a lot of stuff plastered. They're hoping the amendment fails. And I just want to remind all of us that um, Paul says that we have an enemy and that we fight against somebody and we fight against some things. But he says that what we fight against are the powers and principalities and they are not flesh and blood. So I want you to know if you have a neighbor who's flesh and blood, or you go to a business and they're flesh and blood people, they're not the enemy, okay? They are not the enemy. They're people that the enemy is trying to to influence their life. And what we need to do is we need to love everybody. We're called to love our neighbor. We are called to pray for people, to bless people. So please, if you've got a neighbor with a sign that's maybe the opposite of you, lean more into that relationship than ever before. Because people are, they need Jesus and they need the Lord, right? And so let's not allow a sign that somebody has to affect the way we, we act towards people. So, Because we want to be like Jesus, right? And we know how Jesus was towards all people. Okay, a few more things. I'm gonna, this is probably, hopefully this is my last week in the chair. And I mentioned last week that when I was in Springfield, Missouri, the big Baptist churches, they all had a bunch of thrones on top, on, up on the stage, like the deacons and all the staff would sit up there. And I remember just thinking, it kind of seemed weird to me, but I kind of liked it last week. And so I got online and I'm like, I wonder if I bought, if I did this permanently, what would that look like? And I found some pretty cool thrones. I mean, if you could see that one up close, the wood one, it's, it's got a neat design. I really like the green ones because if we like had staff and deacons up here, we got to make sure the head pastors and the one with the taller back on it, you know, so we know who really is important in the church. <laughs> um, a lot of televangelists sit in thrones like that have gold on them. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I even found a dude, check this out, who sits on a gold embossed couch. And I'm like, man, forget a throne. I want a couch. So if, uh, if there's a couch up here in the future, <laughs> you'll, you'll know why. Hey, just a reminder, Jordan starts his sabbatical tomorrow. Um, somebody actually asked me, you know, how Lisa and Jordan's are overlapping, not totally, but pretty close. It just, it's the way the summer worked out. It was going to be, they were kind of going to be back to back, but we trust God with all of it and God is good. So just a reminder, everybody here thinks they're friends with Jordan. So please um, don't, don't be texting Jordan um, tomorrow or during the sabbatical. Um, We want to make sure he has time to rest and, and reflect, recreate with God and, uh, and all of that. Uh, please don't call or text that number. Some unknown dude we don't know in Salina, because that's not his number, is going to get calls from strangers. So please don't, uh, please don't get on that. So it is Father's Day. A, a few 
funny quotes I found. Um, John Wilmot says, before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children. I have zero theories. <laughs> uh, Greg Kinnear says, sometimes I'm amazed that my wife and I created two human beings from scratch, yet we struggle to assemble the most basic of Ikea cabinets. That's a good one. And my favorite is Jerry Seinfeld, who says, you can tell what was the best year of your father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and they ride it out the rest of their life. And I, I have no idea what he's talking about when he says that. Uh, Seinfeld wears white uh, New Balance, by the way, so I'm in good company. Um, any other dads that have New Balance, white New Balance in here? No? Uh, <laughs> okay. We're continuing in our summer series on the Psalms. Um, which I'm really excited for. Today we're in Psalm 127. Last week we were in Psalm 126, which I just love that psalm. I also love this one. It's interesting because only a handful of the psalms actually are put together like in a cluster. Um, psalms 22, 23, and 24 are that way, 90 and 91. And then here, Psalm 127 and 128 are meant to be read together. We will come back to 128 in a few weeks. Um, this psalm is a wisdom psalm. I talked about there's different types, so it's not really a prayer. And if you would turn there, by the way, if you've got a Bible, open to Psalm 127 or pull it up on your phone because we're going to be looking at it in depth. But it is a wisdom psalm, so it's a little bit different. Um, it is written by Solomon, we're told. He only wrote two psalms, and this is one that he wrote. So it makes sense if it's a wisdom psalm that Solomon would do that, trying to give us words for life and how to live life. If you remember when we did 2 Timothy 3.16, the scripture talks about that God gives us the Bible for teaching and for rebuking, for correcting and for training in right living and righteousness. And that's what this psalm is doing. Through, through this psalm, Solomon's trying to say, here's, here's how to parent, here's how to run a household well. He's trying to, to rebuke if we're going the wrong way, to get us back on, to correct us if we're the wrong way and to train us in, in, in being good parents. So I really um, love this psalm. And I chose it because it is Father's Day. I thought it appropriate uh, to do this today. It, it's for all parents, but I really want to speak to dads today, if you don't mind. And let me briefly say to those that are here who aren't parents, um, and you're like, well, does this really apply to me? The main principle of this psalm, which I'm going to briefly mention at the beginning, I'm going to hit at the end, applies to any area of life. So I just want to challenge you to, to hang in there, if you would, to hang in there. So, verse 1, here's how... The psalm starts. Um, and by the way, the main theme of it is dependence upon God, but we're going to come back to that. So Psalm 127, verse 1, I'm reading in the NIV. says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. Now, again, the main point of this is that dependence upon God. Um, that's the emphasis. But it doesn't mean we don't do anything. As I look into these first verses, I actually three, see three things, dads, three tasks for any parent, but dads for you especially, three tasks that God calls us to. He calls us to, to building a home, to guarding your children, and He calls us to working to provide. First, that building a home. I mean, it, it says, he who builds a house. It doesn't literally mean a house, obviously, right? It means that I'm, I'm, with the help of the Lord, I'm trying to craft a home that is centered upon him, where he's made famous, where children grow up to, to know and love and honor him. And for dads, I really want you to know, 
you are so important in this task. You have disproportionate influence. There are so many studies on this, on the influence that the Father has. Um, there was a, a research that was done just a few, a few years ago and was wanting to see the, the level of influence. And what they found was, is if you had a couple and only the mother, only the mother went to church, but the father didn't go, less than 20%. I'm not even going to tell you the percentage because it's almost depressing. Less than 20% of them will end up in church long term if the dad isn't there. If the dad is there and is involved, 68% of them will remain in. That's a huge level of influence that the father has just by being involved um, spiritually. But sadly, Barna did a study recently of evangelical churches like ours and where he was asking um, the teens and college students about their home life and was asking the question, if both of your parents go to church, who is the primary spiritual influence in your home? And 68% said the mother is the primary influence. Less than half of teenagers and college students said that dad was the primary influence. Um, And so I get to do the thing that Joseph was just telling me when we talked this week, He said, oh, I love Father's Day sermons because basically you say, Dad, you stink, have a happy Father's Day. (laughs) And I'm not trying to do that. I really want to do some equipping. But what I'm trying to say, Dad, is you are so important and you need to leverage your position in the home for the sake of your family. Um, So, Dad, you need to build the home. You also need to be guarding your children. And don't you feel this more than ever? Um, Man, to be a parent of young kids right now would be so daunting, I feel like. Um, There is so much out there that's working against the Christian home, and we all know that, right? And what I want to challenge even the dads, the parents and the dads that are here today is don't don't just focus on those overt things. You're going to guard them, you know, like our culture's ethic on sexuality that's um, that's so out there that's against what the Scripture says. Like, if you just focus on that, you're going to miss the point. Because underneath that, our sec- part of our secular culture, there are values that our culture is putting into our children through Disney and through Pixar, through friends and through the media of all sorts, through music. They're hearing it at school. Things that are deeper than that, they're actually influencing them more than just like the sexual ethic. Things like very extreme individualism, consumerism, um, what's called expressive individualism, that I determine um, my identity I choose my identity on my own based upon how I feel inside of myself. Um, An anti-authoritarianism that's so strong in our culture right now. Um, Also, um, how our culture, the freedom it talks about, that's a very fake kind of freedom, which is a freedom from. That those are the things that actually set up so much in our culture that's overtly wrong. And if all we do is we just tell our kids, well, do that, don't do that, do that, don't do that. But we allow them to, to develop a secular mindset on those things, we're going to lose the battle. So dads, we got to be on guard against those things and talking about those things with our kids. So what we do is we're promoting instead of consumerism. Like in the way of Jesus is we serve and we give and we're generous. Um, Instead of extreme individualism, community is really important to us, and we're going to be a part of the family of God. Like Joseph said, we make sure our kids are here in the community. That pushing against the anti-authoritarianism, that authority is from God. It can be abused, but it's a good thing, and here's how you appropriately deal with authority. Instead of this expressive individualism, as it's called, that I define myself, that we teach our children, you're defined by your creator, the one who made you and who really knows who you are. 
And instead of the fake freedom, the freedom from, that we're teaching our children that true freedom is freedom to, um, and that's a, whole, that's a whole nother discussion. And I don't mean for that to be really weighty, but let's not just focus on those, the, the overt big things. We've got to get under the surface, and we've got to guard our children at a deep worldview level and how they think and what they value. So being on the watch, and we hear things, and we speak into them. And then finally, working to provide. Um, it's assumed in, in this verse, in verse 2, this working to provide. But one thing Solomon is really clear on is he's like, man, if you toil too much, if you're up burning the candle all the time to provide, you're, you, you know, that's, that's, that's in vain that you do that. And I think he's pushing back against, I think, the temptation of a lot of dads to overwork to provide, and then I'm not the kind of influence that I can be at the home. So he's reminding us that he says at the end of verse 2, because he grants sleep to those he loves. If you have your NIV, there's an alternate reading to that. This probably more accurately reflects the Hebrew. And probably the best translation isn't, isn't so much that he grants sleep um, to those he loves. That if I, it's in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And this is probably a really good translation. For while those he loves sleeps, he provides. It's again that whole idea of dependence. So while you're sleeping as a dad, not working, God is the one who's behind the scenes providing. And then we come to verse 3. So that whole topic about dependence, and he gives us three roles as dads, and now he's going to talk about children. And in verse 3, it starts children, and I'm going to stop there. Some, like King James, I think, some older translations have like, lo or behold, which is actually accurate. In the Hebrew, the word behold is there first, before children. It's too bad the NIV left it out. Um, In the Hebrew, it's their way of saying like, pay attention, sit up. Listen to this. This is extremely important, what I'm going to say. So when he gets to verse 3, he's really wanting you to pay attention. So here's what he says in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. So he calls children three things in this text, and I love all three. He calls them a heritage, a reward, and he calls them arrows. So first, children are a heritage. Um, some translations put the word gift in there, but heritage is actually a better word um, if you kind of look at the Hebrew word that's there. Um, and I'm glad the NIV kept that word. I, even this week, when I read that, and when I've read this in the past, I wasn't totally sure what that meant when it says children are a heritage. It was pretty amorphous to me. Whenever I heard heritage, I'd always hear like, oh, we need to keep our Christian heritage as a nation. And to me, it almost sounded like traditions that you pass down. That's kind of what I assumed. Um, But the word actually is very tied to the word inheritance. And this Hebrew word is used of inheritance all through Scripture. It's used of um, a possession or property that's handed down from a father to the children as inheritance. It's used a lot of God giving the the tribes of Israel an inheritance, their portions of the land as tribes. Um, If you're reading in the Psalms, if you're following the Old Testament reading, you read Psalm 135 today, and Psalm, in Psalm 135, verse 12, it actually talks about God giving to Israel their inheritance, the portion of the land. It uses the word twice. It's the same word that's used here. So it's used word used of giving of inheritance, um, and it was used of family inheritance in Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents. Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So this word refers to something that belongs to somebody else, and then they give it as a gift to somebody else um, to have. And so what it's saying is, is that our children are actually their own by God. He's the true master, but he, what he does is he gifts them to us. 
kind of like an inheritance, and He offers them to us, not for ours to do with it as we want, but for for us to steward them, to be stewards of them. You remember I talked about stewardship about a year and a half ago, and the definition I had, and if I apply it to parenting, it is this, a steward is a person who's been entrusted with their children and given the responsibility to raise and parent them according to God's vision, God's values, and God's purposes. And good stewardship, then, is the careful, responsible management of the children that are entrusted to my care. God gifts them to us to raise them so that then we can gift them to the world and kind of gift them back to Him as people who make kingdom impact and who make Him famous. So that's the heritage. And then they're called a reward. Children, they're a treasure, and they're to be treasured, and they're to be prized, and we're to cherish and love our children, right? They're not an annoyance. They're not an inherit. They're not, a, not an inheritance. Sorry, I just totally contradicted <laughs> Solomon. Sorry about that. They're not an irritation. They're not a burden. They're a treasure. They're a reward. They're not meant to be endured, but they're to be seen as precious. So, parenting's not easy, right? So I just challenge you: do a heart check on that. Um, Charles Swindoll, in writing about this, says there's two ways we can really. Treat them as a reward. He said, we need to communicate to them that they are precious treasure to us verbally and non-verbally. Verbally, we need to tell them regularly, like Joseph said, they do daily with their kids, that I love you, and our love has nothing to do with your behavior. Um, And we used to communicate that to our kids all the time. I recently heard something I wish I had heard a long time ago and would have told my kids, that not only do we need to tell them, like, if you misbehave and something happens, I still love you, we also need to tell them, just because you're good doesn't mean I love you more because you're good. My love for you is consistent. Because a lot of kids grow up, like, striving for a performance and thinking your love improves if they do good, and then they develop a performance mentality with God. So just saying, you know, whether good or bad, my love for you just stays the same. One doesn't decrease it, one doesn't increase it. So we communicate verbally, but we communicate non-verbally with our attitude, with our tone, with the way we talk to them, with the way we look at them, and we communicate with our time. So make sure you treat your children as a reward. And then finally, their arrows. And I just love this metaphor. I think it's so profound and... I don't know that Solomon had all this in his mind, but when I think of arrows, I think of four things. That arrows must be formed and fitted, they must be used skillfully, they must be aimed at a target, and they must eventually be released. So let me hit those very briefly. So first, arrows must be formed and fitted, they must be sharpened and they must be shaped. You know, back in their day, if I wanted arrows, which most everybody had, men especially for hunting and all of that, if I wanted arrows, you just didn't go to the local Cabela's, right? You had to go out, you had to cut your own sticks, and you had to shape your own arrows and put them together. And it's, it's that way with our children that I am given the task of forming and fitting them um, appropriately, of, of helping to, to make them straight, so to speak. Um, back in... I spoke on this in June 16th, so two years, almost two years ago to the day. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. You know, that's frequently translated, um, train up your child when he's young and when he's old, he will not depart from it, which actually in the Hebrew, there's a lot more going on. And I think it's one of the most profound scriptures on parenting. So if you're a parent, I really challenge you to listen to that. And let me do a really quick review because it fits, it's the idea of like, I'm, I'm shaping arrows, that it talks about that what my children have, they have a bent 
and that what I need to do, and that bent, there's two components to it. There's a dark side to them, that each of your children has a sinful bent that's a, maybe a little different than their siblings, that you've got, to, you've got to see that and you've got to work on that. But God has also designed and created them with unique gifts and abilities, a bent that's a positive bent. And he's wanting you to not only work on their personal sinful bent to help to help straighten that out, but he's wanting you to direct them in their life towards the bent that they have because he's created them for a mission. And so you build into their uniqueness, you identify it. So um, we must really work at form and forming and fitting those, shaping those arrows. Second, arrows must be used skillfully, right? Warriors are trained to use arrows. And I, I, I got to be really honest on this. I think parenting and having children's arrows, it is too important to just leave to accidental parenting. It's too important. Would you not agree that we all need to be trained as skillful warriors with those arrows that God has given to us? Um, Paul in Ephesians 6.14 specifically says, we are to nurture our children in the training and the teaching of the Lord. Training and teaching of the Lord. So accidental parenting doesn't do it. We're to be skillful warriors. So I want to challenge, if you're a dad here, I want to challenge you. To, to take advantage of some of the stuff that's out there. Get a book and read it. And you might even be like, well, I'm not a reader. And I'm going to say, who cares? That's just how I feel. It's too important. Parenting is too important to not sp- intentionally seek to be a skilled warrior with those arrows. Pat loves the book Parenting, the one with the rocking horse by Paul David Tripp. She said, if there's one, that's what I would recommend. I really like Parenting by the book. Um, Jordan likes the bottom uh, middle one by an author, I can't even say the name, Yekovich or something. Um, but I just challenge you, if, if you're like, you really can't get past the reading, get an audio version and on your way to work, listen to it. But train yourself to be skillful. Um, and then if you're like, I don't even want a book, Garen. Well, okay, how about a podcast? I did some research and I'm like looking like, because we didn't have podcasts when I was parenting. Um, what's a good parenting podcast for dads? There are not very many of them. But there's one that I kept seeing mentioned over and over and over again, and it's this top one. And I can't read it from back here. It's called Encouraging Christian Fathers with David and Joshua Sheets. They're a father-son duo. And so one's in the middle of parenting, one's been through it. And they've purposely made it a link that a dad on the way to work or on the way home can listen. So I really challenge you to train yourself. Third, arrows must be named at a target. They must be aimed at a target. So again, with your parenting, you've got to have an end in mind. Stephen Covey says, always begin with an end in mind. You've got to know where you're going with them. And whatever it is for you, it doesn't matter. Pat and I, there were multiple things. Um, in Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and with men. I mean, we were kind of aiming at that. We wanted them to love God with all their heart, their soul, their strength, and their mind, and to love their neighbors themselves. It could be like, I want my children to be like David, who had a fully devoted heart for the Lord. Or I've been talking a little bit about th- that goal of I want my ceiling to be my children's floor, but you've got, you've, got a, you've got something that you're shooting at so that when you get in the tough days and you get bogged down, you can step back and you remind yourself, this is about God, and this is about helping launch those arrows for Him. So you've got to have a target. And finally, um, arrows have to be released, right? I mean, what's the point of an arrow but shooting it at a target, right? What's the point? So I just want to remind all of us that, uh, that, that even from the beginning that we have in mind the fact that God has given them to us to release them. They're not ours to hang on to. They're not ours to keep for the rest of our life. They're not mine to build my identity upon. They're stewarded to me as a gift from him so I can launch them out into life. 
And so, you know, make sure, I love, Joseph mentioned it first service. I don't think he mentioned it this. Um, and may, if he did, forgive me. But he talked about first service, that wisdom that his oldest son is starting to get to the age that he has to start releasing him. And so, you know, those first years up through elementary, you're, you're building roots into them, but you've got to start putting wings upon them, right? You've got to start getting them ready to launch into life. You've got to start slowly letting them go and giving them the skills and, you know, letting them fail sometimes and all of that as hard as it is. Kind of like the dad here, right? It was so funny. Like, that guy, the, the motorcycle dude, all tattoos. Well, not, don't do that one, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Like, let them fall down. You've and I, I think a lot of people, the struggles they have with teens in the teen years is that they're not letting them go. They're not releasing. So, so really, really work hard at that. And then Solomon wraps it all up um, in verse 5, where he just says, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Again, they're a gift from God, and they're a blessing. They're not a curse. And then he says this, They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Um, too bad the NIV, the old NIV had gate. Uh, which they should have left it because it's gates in the Hebrew, contending in the gates. Um, the city gates were important in their culture. It's where, the, it's where the men met. It's where they hung out with each other. It's where they conducted business. It's where they carried out justice. If there were disputes between people, they got settled at the gates. And so he's saying that whenever a man, that if you, if you invest in your children, if you're, if you're building that home, if you are guarding your children, if you're providing, and if you're you're seeing them as an inheritance and a reward, and you're, you're treating them as fine arrows. They will grow up as exemplary young men and young women, and then when you're in the gates and you're maybe have an opponent uh, wrestling with you on some issue, that they can't point to your children as a way to, to shame you. And so that's how he ends the psalm. So in summary, verses 3 to 5 really teach us that our children are to be stewarded men, especially dads, all of us but dads, stewarded as a gift, cherished as a reward, and direct it as an arrow. Direct it as an arrow. Pretty cool psalm, right? I think there's a lot of rich content. But I really haven't hit the main point, and that's what I want to get to. Because the main theme of the text, the main theme of this text is this. Is that as parents and as dads, we have to be utterly, totally dependent upon God in this parenting task in raising a family totally dependent upon him. You know, we just saw in verse 3, our children are a heritage, right? They're inherited from him. So the fact that I even have children, it's a gift from his hand. I'm totally dependent on him to even have children. But verses 1 and 2, I go back to them. Look, look at 1 and 2 and look at what's repeated. So verse 1, unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Twice, unless the Lord, three times in vain. If you're not utterly dependent on Him, what you're doing in your own strength, it will not pan out. It will not work. And what I really love is that in verse 1, the in vain that occurs twice at the end of our sentences, in Hebrew it's at the beginning of the phrase. So in Hebrew it says this, in, unless the Lord builds the house, in vain the builders labor. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the guards stand watch. In vain you rise up early. And that's their way of making it bold or italicized in Hebrew. So they're really, Solomon's really emphasizing that. And he's just telling us, he's wanting us to get the main thing we need to come out of this passage with is I need to be utterly and totally dependent upon God in the raising of his family. Dads, please, I mean, I know you feel this way. 
Um, and I'm going to tell you in a way, challenge you how to do it. God's involvement is utterly essential unless the Lord is at the center of it all. Our work is in vain. We must be totally dependent on Him because true success in parenting only comes from Him. It only comes from Him. It doesn't come from my work, my training, how good I am. That stuff's important. I do the task that this, that this psalm talks about, but that's not where the success lays. A flourishing godly home must be built on parents and especially dads that have a strong sense of their inability to do the task and of an equally strong ta- sense of God's ability to provide wisdom and strength and to change and transform a child's heart, which I can never do, right? Which I can never do. So we're utterly dependent upon Him. So to me, this means two things. It means first walking with Him. And we're going to come back to this in a few weeks when I do Psalm 128 because that's the emphasis of that psalm. Dad, you've got to walk with Him. It's got to be real in your life. But secondly, you have to depend on Him wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it is, I, I think it is so easy, I've experienced this as a dad, to focus so much on the building the home and the guarding and the providing and being a well-trained archer that, that we lose sight of our utter need of God in the task and we can leave Him out of the equation, that maybe we arrogantly think that we can get it done when the truth is in of, our, in of ourselves we can never get it done. This is a theme in the Psalms. In Psalm 27, it says this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in their parenting skills, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I added the parenting skill, by the way. I hope you know that. Psalm 33, 17, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save us. Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Man, you've got to let this soak into your soul. You've got to, I'm hoping, I know parents feel this, I think, but I really hope today more than ever you feel desperately hungry that I so need to depend on God with this whole parenting thing. In the words of the old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, solely to the cross I cling. That that's got to be your, your parenting posture. And my main challenge, the really big one, is this, that this is especially and primarily done through prayer, through regular, daily, fervent prayer. Something I wish I had done more of when I was a younger parent. But you learn stuff as a parent like too late half the time, right? By the time you figure some stuff out, you're like, I sure wish I could live life backwards because I would have done that a lot different. I would have prayed a whole lot more. I can't go back and change my life, but I can challenge people who are here who still have kids at home. Pray more than you think you do. Just be utterly desperate for God to be the one forming your children, knowing that you're the one that can't change their heart. Charles Swindoll, who was friends with one of the major family radio programs, um, they, they met together, their spouses, and the wives were shopping in a mall, and he sat, they, he sat down with his friend who has this radio program, and they were talking about child rearing. And Swindoll asked him, like, if you could do anything in parenting different, what would it be? And he said, I would have prayed a whole lot more. I would have prayed a whole lot more. There's a German proverb, many children make many prayers, and many prayers bring much blessing. And Hudson Taylor, I think my favorite prayer quote, move men by God through prayer. Move your children by God through prayer. Yes, you train them, and yes, you're skilled, and you're doing the best that you can, but you've got, in the end, it's really, it's God, and so you've got to be dependent upon Him. Psalm 75, here is, a, to me, a parent's prayer, but as for me, I'm poor and needy, 
I'm poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. Every day, that should be a parent's prayer. Every day. So, to help you with that, I am offering again. I I offered this, I think, two years ago. And I know some people used it. It's been changed a little bit because I'm always editing everything that I do. It's just forever and ever, amen. Um, But this is a prayer calendar I've been using for years with my children. I am using not only still with them as adult children, I'm praying this over my grandchildren. And what it is is every day of the month, there are character traits that I'm wanting God to instill in them because only God only can do that. On the back, every day I'm praying a scripture over my children and over my grandchildren. And if, if this is not your habit, I really want to challenge you, especially as a dad, make this a daily habit. Pray daily for your children. Pour your heart out to him for these things because only he can do this. Only he can create these things in their heart. So on the way out, you can grab one of those. You know, in last week, Psalm 126 was about second chances. And their parents here, he talked about, oh, parenting adult children, easy, right? Things dads never say. Um, it never gets easy. Those of you who have adult children, it's not easy, is it? Um, I talked to two parents this week, different parents who have children that are prodigals, living away from the faith, and that they're totally estranged from. And what do you do about that? There's nothing you can do, but you can pray, right? And God is a God of second chances, like last week, and like the Negev, He can come in at any moment and, and just change the direction of their heart and life. So let us be people who are utterly dependent on God in prayer for our children, for our grandchildren. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Jesus in John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, not you, I'm the vine. You're a branch. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, but without me you can do nothing. So let's really lean into that relationship. Isn't this a great psalm? Don't you love it? I mean, 126, 127, two weeks in a row. The psalms are great. I love them. You know, I don't know, but I have an inkling, because Solomon wrote this, I have an inkling he wrote it at the end of his life, almost as a grandparent, because Solomon totally blew it in his parenting and in his leadership. He totally blew off God. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes after having blown off God, and he came back, and he's like, do you want to know what life without God looks like? And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's like the wind. It's meaningless. And I have a feeling he wrote this psalm after he had blown it. And he's like, don't parent like I did. I want you to be utterly dependent on the Lord in your parenting. That's why I love this psalm, because he says, unless the Lord builds the house, in vain the the builders labor. Unless the Lord watches over the city in vain, the guards stand watch. So it's really powerful. So a couple of questions and we'll wrap up. Dads, I mean all parents, but dads especially, I want to know how are you doing as an archer? Are you intentionally forming and fitting your children? Shaping and sharpening them? Are you purposely training yourself to be a skillful warrior at handling those arrows? Do you have a clear target of what you're aiming those arrows at? If you have teens, are you in the process of releasing them in a healthy way? And the thing I really want to know to think about is how are you doing in your dependence upon God, especially in daily prayer. Dad, do you pray daily? Daily 
to God about your children. So dads, in this text, we have four important roles. You're a builder, a guardian, you're a worker who provides, you're a warrior who's an archer. Those are your four roles. So do those tasks well to the best of your ability. But above all else, walk with the Lord and be utterly dependent upon Him in daily, regular prayer. Above all else, above all else. Because unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you are able. We want to we close with a song of worship.
us as dads to know that even more. Lord, that we would just every day just pour our hearts out to you on behalf of our children. Because ultimately you're the only one that can build our home and that can guard and watch over them. um, That can really provide and make them the kind of people you want them to be. And so just make us more and more people of prayer dependent upon you for your spirit to do the work. So we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, happy Father's Day. Dads, have a great day. 12th, you are sent.